0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in Game Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Rudolf Inders, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Ketch Raya, the author of We the Gamers, How Games Teach Ethics and Civics from 2021. The publisher is Oxford University Press. Before we jump right in, though, I want to let you know that if you like our show on the episodes, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the audio platform of your choice. Also, feel free to share this episode with your friends or wherever you see fit. And now back to the show. Ethics and civics have always mattered, but perhaps they matter now more than ever before. Recently, with the rise of online teaching and movements like Play Apart Together, games have become increasingly acknowledged as platforms for civic deliberation and value sharing. We the Gamers explores these possibilities by examining how we connect, communicate, analyze, and discover when we play games. Combining research based perspectives and current examples, this volume shows how games can be used in ethics, civics, and social studies education to inspire learning, critical thinking, and civic change. And I'm really excited to learn more together with you, dear listeners, today. Kat, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs>
0: I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself.
1: Well, I'm so thrilled to be on your show. I am Dr. Kat Schreier. I am an associate professor and director of a games program at a university in the New York metro area called Marist. I also run the Play Innovation Lab, and I've been researching and designing games for ethics, empathy, compassion and care for the last 20 years. I'm also working as a designer, uh, as a consultant for places like the World Health Organization. And I've worked at places previously like Nickelodeon, Scholastic, BrainPop, making educational media and games for kids and adults. Hmm.
0: That's great. I've been to New York only I think, one week ago, actually.
1: Wow. So, <laughs> that's great.
0: <laughs> that's really... Well, well, maybe next time then. Um, of course, we have to check for your Ludo Street credibility. So you got to tell us, what's your favorite game and the one or
1: even the ones you are playing right now? Well, so my absolute two favorite games are Maniac Mansion, which... I don't know if people remember, but it was on the Apple IIe. It was on, eventually ported to, I think, the Super Nintendo. And it was just an amazing point-and-click adventure game with a green tentacle and a fun madhouse of different characters. And I absolutely loved it when I was growing up. Um, more recently, I really love the Fallout series series. It's an immersive role-playing game where you got to be in a post-apocalyptic world and make ethical choices and try to navigate in this new society. I also really love the Red Dead Redemption series, which I think also grapples with different ethical issues around how to behave in the wild, wild west. And... More recently, as in the last few days, I've been replaying the recent civilization series. I find it to be a very relaxing and engaging pointing um not point and click adventure game, but totally different. Um turn-based resource management game that really helps you understand how societies live, thrive and grow.
0: Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about the strategy games of Paradox, Swedish company, and but it's just way too complicated for me to be honest, to be honest. <laughs> but now Yeah, well with
1: Civilization, I've been playing it since the second one came out, so I know the basic mechanics and the systems that are already there, but even though I've been playing it for now going on almost 20 years, uh, maybe more than that, 25 years, I still find new things and i still learn more about different systems and how they interact and i think about wow the amount of thought and just the decision making that went into creating this kind of complex game is just so amazing to me i mean it really is a a work of art in the way that it comes together
0: well talking about learning new things uh let's circle back to your book then because um, we the gamers introduces and explores various educational frameworks through a range of games and interactive experiences, including board and card games, online games, virtual reality and augmented reality games, and digital games as well like Minecraft, Fortnite, or Animal Crossing, New Horizons. So please tell our listeners how did you come to write We the gamer in the first or we the gamers in the first place?
1: Well, I've always been very interested in this idea of perspective taking and how games allow us to enter into other perspectives and to really not only enter into them, but to also see the big picture and how different systems work together and how problems might be solved differently and how people might have different stories than our own and i've really been fascinated by that concept and i've been thinking about well how do we incorporate more perspective taking into gaming and so that from that idea i was a graduate student at mit and i created a game called reliving the revolution and what it entailed was creating an augmented reality game which meant that the players used a mobile device to access virtual information, but they were in an actual physical location. And the physical location was one of the major sites in the American Revolution, and that was called the the Lexington Common, which was involved in the Battle of Lexington. And so in this game that I designed, I had players interacting with these virtual characters that showed up on their mobile devices, and told them about what was happening before, during, and after the battle. And the students had to get together and try to figure out who fired the first shot at the battle. And that is a history mystery that we still don't have an answer to. And so depending on how they played and and who they interacted with, they might've had a different perspective on what happened at the battle. In addition, each of the students played a different role they played roles like being a British loyalist or being uh, a minuteman soldier. They also played as a uh, you know people from um, different racial backgrounds and and different gender identities. And based on their perspective, they also got different information from the characters that they interacted with. And so they really had to grapple with like how their perspective in the game affected them, and maybe even affected how they interpreted history. And from doing that game, which I did 20 years ago, it was one of the first augmented reality games before Pokemon Go, all before that, I was using a Palm Pilot at the time, and it used a separate GPS device to have the information pop up on the student screens. And that experience really inspired me to see how powerful using games in education and specifically in social studies education uh, could be. And so I continued to design those kinds of games and researched that. I wrote a few books on using games for ethics and ethics education and did my own research on how we could use Fable 3, which is a role-playing game, in ethics and ethical deliberation, and all of those experiences really led me to wanting to write this book so that educators and researchers, game players, could learn about how they might be able to either play or use these games in their classrooms or beyond.
0: So in the first part of your book, then, you investigate why we need to learn ethics and civics, And that is indeed a pretty profound question and not an easy one to answer. So what's yours?
1: Well, the biggest thing that I thought about when writing this, and so when I first wrote it, I certainly intuitively understood why ethics and civics are important. I understood that we are a collective, we live in a society, and we have to understand how to deliberate, understand each other. And make a better society for each other. But as I was writing this book, we suddenly were in a pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic. And I really started to not only understand it theoretically, but understand it in practice, that we are a we, right? We are a world that is in crisis, and we need to be able to solve the biggest issues of our time, whether it's climate change or political crises like a war, you know, the war that's happening in Europe right now or it's um, health um, care and, and um, you know, illnesses and viruses like the COVID-19 pandemic, we have to be able to work together to solve these big problems and to understand how to make the world more equitable and inclusive and caring for each other. So I was able to, in a way, rewrite my book with this in mind to really make it not only theoretically clear, like yeah, we need ethics education, we need civics, and here's why, but to really put into practice and to apply that understanding to something that we're all going through together, and that we can all understand that we we really have to work together. We really have to be not only thinking about our neighbors, but thinking about the greater global community. We have to be understanding that what we do in New York, New York, affects what we do in Germany, affects what we do in Lagos, Nigeria, and affects people all around the world. So we are a we, and we need to be able to learn the kinds of skills to be able to function as a sustainable caring and inclusive society.
0: Hmm. In the in, in your next part you take or you dive into a whole set of interesting questions which actually relate to using games to build real world knowledge and to take real world action. So I was wondering Which questions are these, and why was it so significant or important to you to introduce or rather use the term real world?
1: That's a great question. I think I really drew that section from my previous book and my work on that, which my previous book is called Knowledge Games. And in that book, I explore how we can use games to solve what I call real world problems, which are problems that we might be facing. For example, thinking about the COVID-19 pandemic, there's a game out there, it's spelled E-T-E-R-N-A, so RNA. so thinking like RNA, which is something you might have learned in biology or genetics class. And in that game, you're able to design new RNA molecules. And they're potentially could be used as medicines, as other kinds of solutions to issues. And when the COVID-19 pandemic came out, they created a special version of it so that you could help to create, for example, RNA-based vaccinations. So people were playing a game, but through playing the game, like through the actual actions that you took in the game, it was like solving a real world puzzle, trying to put the pieces together, So that we could, in a way, crowdsource solutions, crowdsource actions that we could take, like real scientists could take, to, to then invent new medicines that could help us. And so the way I think about it is, could game playing itself be a form of civic action? Could it be a way that we could all help to directly solve real world issues? certainly games are the real world right i mean you know you're it's it's a virtual space but you're still you're still in the real world but the things that you do in games have potentially an influence on the reality of our world around us so we could actually solve these problems through games and not just medical problems and illnesses but we could think about social issues could we take civic action through games there are people that were mounting protests in Animal Crossing New Horizons because they couldn't do it in their neighborhoods or in their streets they had to do it in a virtual space because they weren't allowed to do it in their streets so could we do that and and not only that we are doing that could we see that games are out there, and allowing people to engage civically, to respond, to be activists, and to have the kind of dialogue that we need as a civic society.
0: You also put thought uh, into the question how games may or may not support community and connection, as well as how they may encourage the practice of skills related to, for instance, identity or empathy.
1: Yeah, so I mean, you think about games, right? There is a study that was done by the ADL, which is the Anti-Defamation League. And they found that over 80% of online game players were having toxic types of interactions, like being harassed, based on their racial or gender or other identity, or part of their identity. And On the other hand, they found that over 99% of game players online in their study were having caring and compassionate and pro-social actions happening to them, like forming friendships or mentoring each other. And so my hope is that we can take that learning of how we might potentially move games from being cruel and toxic spaces to more compassionate and caring ones. So how can we focus on the compassionate and pro-social behaviors and design systems so that people want to be caring, that they want to engage in an in inclusive behavior. You know, so first we we have to move that from from cruelty to compassion. But could we also learn from that to make our all of our spaces, all of our civic institutions to redesign our systems to be based on caring and compassion, rather than how they've been designed in the past. So on the one hand, I want us to have less toxic spaces online, whether it's social media or gaming. Gaming is a form of social media, people are interacting socially there. Whether it's online, In the playground, in our town halls, or in our um, other civic spaces, could we move that from cruelty to compassion? And could games help us to figure out how to get there?
0: You then switch to the field of critical thinking and critical inquiry where you, for example, ask how many games help us to practice skills such as making decisions or engaging in design.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So for example, I am working on a game right now with the World Health Organization. I work in the academy, which is helping to design learning experiences that are competency-based and teach things like critical thinking, problem solving, and decision-making. One game that I'm working on right now, and we're trying to finalize the prototype on is on hand hygiene. So understanding the moments when a clinical staff member, like a doctor or a nurse or other medical staff person, so that they would know when they should do hand hygiene. So not necessarily how to do it, right? So not like the physical, you know, the actual action of like, how do you wash your hands or how many minutes, but it's actually like knowing when. So like, for example, before you shake hands with a patient, um, you know, when you, you, you walk into a room and you enter the patient's zone, you should be engaging in hand hygiene prior to, so before doing something like touching a patient. And... That involves a lot of decision-making, right? So if you are playing a game where you have to make those decisions, you are practicing decision-making. You have to know within your list of clinical tasks, when do I make that decision to engage in hand hygiene? And I see firsthand how powerful games are in helping us to learn And practice decision making, because it's giving you an authentic environment in which to practice in. And I think that, again, it's not, it's not a given, right, you have to design an an experience that supports that. And certainly, there are many other ways that you can learn critical thinking, and decision making and problem solving. But I do think that games could be a powerful way to do that as well.
0: Your fifth chapter also holds a large portfolio of interesting points. By large, they deal with the challenges of logistical and the practical considerations for bringing games into the classroom and other learning environments. Please do tell us more about that.
1: Yes, so because I have a background as a designer and not just as a researcher, I also think about the logistical challenges, the, the, the systemic issues that you have to face if you're bringing a game into any environment. And so, for example, you have to think about, do I have the right software? Do I have the, a big enough table to play a board game on? Do I have institutional support to be able to play this game? Are they going to allow me to do this? Do I have to have logins? Do I need to have some kind of registration? Uh, Do I need a special ID to get into this game? Is it free? Do I have to pay for it? How do I pay for it? I mean, there's so many different challenges that we have to think about. And we have to also realize that that with any audience, um, it could be first graders, it could be college students, it could be adults right they're going to have different needs and we have to think about the kinds of environments and the accessibility of this game for each of these audiences so like for example i might play the same exact game with the same exact age group and in two different classes so same exact game two different sections of a class And I might have completely different responses to that game. And that could be kind of scary for some educators to kind of, in a way, not know what to expect and to kind of let let things go and to be open to a surprise or be open to people responding in one way or another. For example, I play this game with my students called loneliness. It's a very short game. It's only five minutes. And it's really just these little blocks and you're moving around and the rest of the blocks basically move away from you. It's very abstract. It's a short game. And sometimes I have students who play this game and they're like, that was that was silly, like, not it was just a bunch of blocks. And I, you know, nothing happened. And then I have other students, maybe even in the same class, who have a response, like they're crying, and they're like, Oh, this is so moving. And how powerful this very simple game is. And so even in the same class, even with the same age group, even with the same accessibility that everybody might have to a game, they might have very different responses to it. And also in my class, I sometimes have stu- um, students that can't play a game because it's too emotionally overwhelming. Like I have them play a game called That Dragon Cancer, which is a game about a family who is losing their son, their real life son to cancer, and then grieving that loss. And it was made by the family who lost their son. And some students just can't participate. And and that's okay too, right? And I always allow that as an option. And those kinds of things open up the structure of education in a way that not every educator could be comfortable with, right? You're, You're relinquishing control and you're sharing the the educational experience with your students really in a, in a more open and uh, vulnerable way. And it's, you know, for me, I, I'm okay with that. I like to be open. I like to be vulnerable. I like to allow my students to experiment. It's okay. If it fails, it's okay. If it doesn't work, it, you know, we try again, we try something else. We, ex- you know, it ha- I have that kind of culture in my class But not everybody is able to have that kind of culture for various reasons. And my hope was that having those kinds of guidelines, questions to ask, and and to kind of give a little bit of a flavor of of all the different kinds of things that could happen, the, the possibilities, could help educators out there figure out how to pragmatically include these games in their classroom.
0: Now, let's shoot for a really simple question. How might we shape our future through games? Of course, I'm just kidding. I'm very well aware that this is a rather complicated room with a view. And I'm very lucky that you have put so much thought into this.
1: Yes, I do think about this a lot. And I always have a different answer for myself. I think the first thing is to acknowledge that games and people are quite messy, we're flawed, we obviously all have a lot of problems we need to solve. And to be okay with that, to also acknowledge that games will help us to see those flaws, and could potentially not only be the problem, but also the solution. And Could we learn from games? Could we learn from each other? Could we be able to try out new futures through games and try out futures that could be more equitable, could be more caring and compassionate so that every single person and their perspective can be part of that new society, can help to redesign the future together?
0: So we are entering the final round, so to speak now, and this is where I'd like to ask my guests for a little kind of meta reflection. Firstly, what aspects and ideas would you have loved to include in your book that did not make the cut? And secondly, and I'm really excited to ask that one, where do you see game studies or game research as a research field in general at the moment?
1: Something that I would have liked to focus in on more are the aspects of identity and equity and inclusion and how we can design more accessible and inclusive games, but also how we can use games to design a more inclusive society. And to that end, I've been editing a book called 50 games for inclusion, equity and justice. It's co edited with three other people. And it's going to be published through etc press, which is part of Carnegie Mellon. I just sent it, it's now being processed by the publisher, but it will be available for free. So that's very exciting. And I'm glad that I was able to share that research and share that knowledge with educators out there. In terms of where game studies should go, I hope that it can be more inclusive. I do feel like sometimes game studies and and not just game studies people, but researchers in general are a bit siloed from some of the practices that are happening in the world and could we engage more with educators, with people who are designing media, designing games, developing those games, to have a dialogue and to be able to influence and to connect with each other. I think that some people in the games industry are extremely interested in games research, but they don't always know how to apply it. And could we find ways to build more connections and bridges to Uh, not only industry, but to civil society so that we can implement these changes and make the world better and to be, you know, influencing policy and influencing the people who make these decisions, but also to open up those decisions more to people in the world that may have different perspectives, but haven't been able to be empowered enough to make them.
0: Well, um, We've taken up a lot of your time already and you have been also talking about your new book, but I wonder what are you working on right now? And of course, what will you be playing
1: next? That's a great question. So my big thing right now has been working on a few different projects. One project is on games and ethics and understanding specific exercises that we could do to further help players and, and students to apply real world ethical frameworks to what they do. So to be more specific, I had students take frameworks like the virtue ethics framework, and the utilitarian ethics framework, and then make twine games. So twine is a game creation tool. So very simple, uh, interactive narratives. But could they then take that framework and implement it in their game designs in a simple way? So I've been doing research on that. I'm also doing a big global study on games and accessibility. Um, for, for both of these studies, I'm collaborating with people from other universities and um, also from universities in Finland and in Japan. So that's been very exciting. Um, in addition, I'm working on a Templeton World Charities grant with collaborators in Lagos Business School in Nigeria. And we are co-creating a VR game to help Nigerian youth um, better understand each other and to gain perspective on each other um, so that they can reduce their biases among the different ethnic groups there. And so that's very exciting as well. And uh, I've been continuing to do consulting as a game designer and I'm just thrilled with being able to work with people from all around the world on these wonderful, interesting research projects.
0: So tons and tons of great projects, indeed, Uh, I guess then this was not the last time we join into a conversation about games and game research. In the meantime, though, I want to thank you for being on the show today, and I really enjoyed it. So take care and goodbye.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, dear listeners, I hope you like this episode. If you are an author and or an editor in the field of digital game studies yourself and want to talk about your latest publication, please do not hesitate to contact me under rudolf.indust at Alternatively, please send me a direct message on social media. You will find me under Rudolf Inderst almost everywhere. See you in a bit.